Now, I hadn't cried in 40 years. My dad used to beat me, and I determined he'd never see me cry. And as I did, the memory started coming back. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Today, we're going to deal with a very difficult subject. Childhood male sexual abuse. It's real. It's painful. It's something we've got to talk about. Maybe you or someone you love understands the hurt. Back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton. These are those topics that very few people want to address, but they need to be talked about. Male childhood sexual abuse. How prevalent is it? What are the effects? I know there are a lot of questions, questions that beg to be answered. Our guest today, Cease Murphy. He's written or co-authored more than 100 books, including the autobiography of Franklin Graham, Rebel with a Cause. The New York Times bestseller, 90 Minutes in Heaven, and Gifted Hands, The Ben Carson Story. Cease is a dear friend. He's also a man who was hurt as a boy, and he's here today to talk about his story. Cease, welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Tim, thank you so much for having me again as your guest. Cease, as we get started, how prevalent do you really believe male childhood sexual abuse is? I think it's a lot worse than most people have acknowledged. The official statistics I keep hearing are one in six, but then they'll turn around and say, but men don't talk about it. We know it's at least that, and I, my guess is probably at least twice that number. And, and by the way, something recent, I've just learned this. A woman in Colorado did some uh, research uh, on a master's thesis, and she says that most men who don't talk about it in childhood, they have to be in their late 40s, early 50s, before they finally open up about it. So I think that's quite significant. What's the significance behind keeping it a secret? Have you found any clear reasons? Yeah, I can give you several. One is we live in a very homophobic culture, and so we're afraid of it, afraid that people think we're homosexual, and also we feel ashamed. It's crazy. You know this feel better than I do, but what I've learned, and this is true with me as well, is that even though we weren't bad, but something bad was done to us, we translate that into our skulls, and we're responsible for the terrible things that happened to us, and so the shame is there. 
Cease, I know it's a difficult subject to talk about, and uh, you have chosen to commit the rest of your life to helping people through childhood sexual abuse, but do you mind sharing your story with us? You know, I've gotten to be very free about this. First, I was sexually assaulted by a female relative. I don't know when it started. I know it stopped when I was probably maybe five years old. I have two younger brothers, and although they never acknowledged it, I think they were also assaulted, and both of them died of alcoholism. That's how they handled it. When I was, I don't remember, seven perhaps or eight, we were having really bad financial times, and my parents rented a room to an elderly man who was a pedophile. He sexually assaulted uh, me, and I have a sister who's four years older, and so he assaulted both of us, and she told my parents, and my dad was a raging alcoholic and beat the man up. But, you know, Tim, I never talked about it. I have no idea why. I just didn't. And so I kept mine a secret. I guess the word is denial. I, I like to think of it as amnesia. I never was aware of it until I was 51 years old. I'm a runner. I've been running for, since I was Oh, 35, and I had a long, long run one day, and as I was coming back, just finishing my run, I started crying. Now, I hadn't cried in 40 years. My dad used to beat me, and I determined he'd never see me cry. And I just started convulsively crying, and as I did, the memory started coming back. So that's how I began my journey. Cease the effects. I know that you spent a lot of time trying to understand what men, young men, middle-aged men, older men harbor in their hearts as a result of being abused. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? What was it like for you, the effects of being hurt like this? Oh, it permeates every part of life. I, I think the worst thing was it affected my marriage. The worst instance I remember, we'd been married maybe five or six years. You know, everything was fine, good sexual life, all that kind of thing. And I'd been traveling, and one evening I came home. It's like midnight when I got in, and soon my wife was asleep, so I got into bed and tried to be careful not to disturb her, and she reached over and touched me, and I freaked out. I froze. I pushed her arm away and jumped out of bed and turned on the light, and she said, what's wrong? And the truth, Tim, is I didn't know. I was in my late 20s, and I had no idea what was wrong. All I knew is that something was wrong. And so you always make up a reason whether you know it or not. And I said, I guess I'm just tired. So I lay there for a long time thinking, what is wrong with me that I would do that to my wife? Years later, she told me she lay there for a long time crying and saying, what did I do wrong? So it not only affected me, but it also affected her. And I think the other thing is it was hard for people like me. We either trust everybody or trust nobody. I tend to be the one who's the sucker. I, you give me a, a, a line, and I'm, I'm apt to believe it. I, I really have to work at being skeptical. You know, it affects every part of us. Cease sexuality. Did you find yourself living out your pain, maybe by getting lost in pornography or sexual behavior? You know, I didn't, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, one thing, pornography, when I was growing up, wasn't that plentiful. You know what I mean? I knew getting pornography, you had to go to an adult bookstore. And I knew men who did that, but it was never an issue for me. I, if I were younger, who knows? What I did, and I think this is very common, is there was a, a same-sex attraction which abhorred me, and I didn't act out on it, but it really troubled me. Uh, I kept thinking, why? Why would I be attracted I didn't tell my wife about that for many, many years. When I finally talked to her about it, she said, I've known that. And 
she said, but I knew you didn't do anything about it, so I, it wasn't anything we need to talk about. But can you imagine how awful I must have felt thinking, what's wrong with me? And see, that's the whole issue for us guys is what's wrong with me is the question. It's not what wrong was done to me. What's wrong with me? And then the wrestling with being a man, maybe masculinity challenges him more, cease. Tim, I have a blog. It's called menshatteringthesilence.blogspot.com and encourage men to respond to it. And not feeling like a real man is probably the most prevalent topic that comes up. The pain is different for every one of us. Some of them act out, some don't. Uh, What I also discovered is the men who don't or don't acknowledge same-sex attraction tend toward promiscuity with women. That one shocked me because I guess it was so far out of my experience, but I've met a lot of abused men who told me that they constantly had sex partners to prove they weren't gay. The Jerry Sandusky scandal out of Penn State heightened our awareness about this whole issue of the abuse of young men, boys. It's horrifying to begin to think about the journey that those kids go on. And they wrestle with their identities, what you're saying, so much. Oh, yeah. And right about the same time, the Diocese of Milwaukee scandal erupted there. And it's erupted several other places now. Fortunately, it's coming out. The way I say it is we men are about 30 years behind where the women are. Women were talking about this 30 years ago, rape, sexual abuse, that kind of thing. I don't think there's so much abuse as it was more rape. And even now that's coming out. There's a case recently in California where there's a female school administrator and all these young women are now coming up saying she sexually assaulted them. So the Penn State, the Catholic Church, every once in a while there'll be some charge here. Even in metro Atlanta, there are four or five preachers I know that are now being accused of sexually assaulting boys. Scout leaders, it's everywhere, and it's now coming to the front. When people talk about childhood sexual abuse, they often use the word trauma. And with trauma, there can be like dreams or flashback experiences. Did you ever experience any of that? Have you found that to be true in the literature as you've researched this subject out? Well, it's certainly true with me, and and I think it's very common you know, I used to have a recurring dream. It was so much a part of me. I never thought about it until after I started dealing with my uh, assault. Uh, I uh, go into this old house where we lived, and uh, it'd be dark. And I, the thing that always seemed so strange to me is that I would be only able to see about three feet above the ground. And I realized I was a kid. And all I know is I would feel this terrible sense of fear. And then I also had flashbacks of some of the assault, not all the details of it. But in fact, the day I was running and memory started coming back, there were a number of flashbacks then. That was the worst day I've ever had flashbacks. No doubt, Cease, there are a lot of uh, women listening, and maybe she has someone who's very close to who's been abused as a boy. Let's help her understand, just for a moment, maybe some of the lies. What are some of the lies that these young men believe, that these men believe about themselves? Well, I think the most common one is that they're worthless, they're not important, they're not real men. If they were real men, they wouldn't feel this way. And I think we have this idea that every real male has to be some kind of macho person. Uh, tendency is to constantly feel, uh, compare ourselves with other men. And, you know, when we start comparing, we always end up the loser, I think. 
and this is one of the troubling places for men is real men don't do that. Somehow we get that in our mind that if we really are true men, we wouldn't feel the way we do. We wouldn't act the way. We constantly struggle over that. Have you ever wondered why cease God didn't show up or why would that kind of hurt or abuse be allowed even in our world? Seriously. The biggest between me and a lot of other men is I did not come out of a Christian environment. I probably attended Sunday school maybe 45, 50 times in my childhood. So God wasn't a big issue in my life. But here's the thing that's finally given me peace. Whether God was in my life or not, the point is that we were needy kids. We were hurting kids. We were kids who never felt loved. And I never felt loved. And I'll make this really clear. It's not whether our parents loved us or didn't love us. It's how we felt about it. If we feel we're not loved and cared for, if we're not touched, if we're not held, we will gravitate toward those who offer us that kind of substitute love. Cease, what about the anger? What did you do? How did you deal with the frustration and maybe the internal rage that at times must have just been unleashed inside of you? Yeah, I had it. And um, I've never thought of myself as really an angry person, but there were times when I really, truly was. I would get set off by things that weren't related, and yet later on I would see that they were. I, I don't know how to explain that, except I realized that my anger would always build. I never had this quick thing sort of build up and then it would explode. And we all deal with anger differently. Yes, we do. But I I think mine was always against injustice, people taking advantage of others. See, that's normal for somebody like me. How'd you let it go? Are you able to ever let it go? Yes, I have. Tim, let me tell you what finally happened to me. I really went through a period after I began to deal with my abuse. I went through a period I just felt intense anger. I, I felt like I wanted to kill somebody. My, my wife and my best friend, I talked to them, they knew where I was. And I, my best friend said to me, oh, you're not going to kill anybody. And I said, I feel like it. And he said, hey, see, you're 51 or 52 years old. He said, have you killed anybody so far? And I said, no. He said, well, you're not going to, but it's okay to feel that way. He was so offhanded about it, and that was really helpful. The other thing that helped me was this. I began to finally understand grace, God's grace. These people, these perpetrators, did evil things. But I also began to feel sympathy, mercy for them. They're victims themselves. You know, people like Jerry Sandusky have done terrible, terrible evil things, but in their own way, they're also victims. And I've, I've only met two men who talked to me honestly about being perpetrators. And I saw the agony and the pain in their lives. And in both cases, I was the first person they'd ever told that they had been perpetrators. You know, it just filled me such compassion to realize that they were victimized. They did the assault, they were satisfied, but it didn't last and the shame and the guilt that came over them afterward. And in some ways, maybe they were worse off than we were. See, did you ever get to a place where you could say you forgave that woman and that man who hurt you? Absolutely. Really, I did. That's part of all that that journey. It wasn't easy. I kept just every day I would pray, God, help me to forgive. Finally, I tried to do it in a positive way, and I would mention their names. I said, God, I forgive. 
I forgive. And that's when I finally realized something, that none of us deserve God's forgiveness. And if we really understand God's forgiving us, and for the first time I did, I was in my 50s when I first understood, God really, truly forgave me, and I didn't have to do anything to earn it. It was just a gift. And somehow, Tim, I was able to translate that and to forgive my perpetrators, but then both of them were dead. But I was still able to forgive them and move on. I think that's what grace really is. Somebody said, you're giving them a free ride. And I said, no, I'm not giving them a free ride. I'm giving myself a free ride now because I don't have to carry that burden and that anger and that pain. Our special guest today, Cease Murphy. We're talking about a very difficult subject, male childhood sexual abuse, something we often don't talk about but need to talk about. Cease Murphy has been uh, gracious enough to be here and open and sharing his story. And Cease, I'm going to come back to that issue of forgiveness. Not me. I'd never forgive him or her for doing that to me as a kid, period. There's no room in it for me. What do you say to that person? You know, I don't tell them they're wrong. I just say, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you have to carry that anger and that red color, whatever you want. I'm sorry you have to do that. And if you're really going to grow and follow Jesus Christ, you will come to the place where you feel the need to forgive. And, and Tim, let me tell you, the, the other side of this is, I think of what I call reusing my pain. As I've gone through all of this, I don't understand why I was chosen <laughs> to suffer or, or a lot of other men, but I do know this, that if we're following Jesus Christ and we start gaining the victory over it, I think we can then reuse our pain and reach out to others who are hurting and are going through some of the same things we had to endure. Jesus in this whole journey, Cease, do you really believe he understands? Do you really believe he can give you strength? Yeah, and there are a couple of verses in the Bible, like one that says, Though he were son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And in Hebrews 2, it talks, in the King James, it says he, because of his suffering, he is able to succor us, to encourage those who are also in pain. See, I, I truly believe that Jesus Christ truly, truly understands. And that's what gave me such hope. Or let me give you a biblical example. I've always disliked Jacob because Jacob was a bad guy. There's nothing really good about this guy. He never did anything that wasn't self-serving. And yet, God chose to bless him. One day I realized, God said, I love Jacob. I kept trying to think, why would God love Jacob? And I can't give a reason, and no one else can. But what it did, it said to me, okay, man did nothing good, and God still loved him. God can love me too. Our mutual friend, Diane Langberg, was once teaching on childhood sexual abuse. Seesaw, never forget her sharing a story from an abuse, a survivor. There was this aha moment when this lady went home, was reading the scriptures, and she came back and told Diane, they took his clothes. They took his clothes. They stripped him completely. And it was a moment for her to realize that he understood some of what she had gone through that he was touched with the feelings of her infirmities, our infirmities, our brokenness. That's right. And that's why I'm, I do what I can to help other survivors. Is, you know, I've gone through all that agony and pain, and I, I like to think that I'm standing in, somewhere in about the middle of the ladder and reaching down to those who are below me while I'm still climbing.
Cease, what should we or shouldn't we say to someone we know who's been hurt? Because I think sometimes we trivialize each other's pain. Oh, we do. You know, the worst thing I think that anybody ever said to me, one woman said, oh, just get over it. She really did. And I said, you know, that's a great idea. Now tell me how. And that was the end of that conversation. It's that insensitivity. You know, when we tell people how to heal, unless we really know how to heal, I think we ought to shut up about it. What I think we need to do is to say, you know what, I don't understand, but I care. When I first told my wife, that's exactly what she said to me. She said, I don't understand this, but I love you, and I'm always here with you. And that's all we need to know is that they care, and we can talk about it. My best friend, I told him one time the most shameful experience my whole life. I was an adult, and I didn't know anything about other men hitting on me, but I was in a car, and this guy first touched me, and they touched my leg, and, and, and I kept saying, don't do this, and he kept going on and on, and I finally stopped him, and I said to my best friend, even though I knew it was wrong, and I, I wouldn't refuse to, there was something powerful about that, and I just kind of stopped, and he said, well, and, and what? And I said, well, and that's it? He said, oh, okay. That, oh, okay, Tim said to me, he heard my struggle, he resonated with it, and he wasn't there to condemn me. It was like, okay, I understand. And I think that's what we can do for people. Is don't give them advice. Don't tell them how to heal. And the other thing we can do is we can pray for them. And I pray for a lot of abused men by name and uh, make contracts with them. I'll pray for them for every day for six months, a year. And a couple of men I've been praying for for like five or six years. But I can't do what God can do. So I can pray for God to bring his healing power into their lives. Cease, you've written a book called Not Quite Healed, 40 Truths for Male Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse. You co-authored this with Gary Rowe. What was the goal, Cease, for the book? I wrote a, an earlier book called When a Man You Love Was Abused. Yes, I remember. Yeah, and I thought I'd said everything then, but I realized that a lot of men were saying to me, you know what, I've been dealing with them, struggling with this, and I'm not healed. And I was asking myself the same question, why am I not fully healed? And what I finally came to realize is that healing takes a long, long time. You know, I'm sure there are people who have instantaneous healings and they never have struggled over it again. I believe that God loved me, made me struggle through this, because I struggled and because I hurt so much, and I still have some vestiges of that left, I think that it makes me sensitive to those people who are hurting. Cease, let me give you the final word here on this difficult but important issue for us to talk about on male childhood sexual abuse. Here's my final word. God is with us. Even if we don't feel that God is with us, God is there, and when we call on God, I know it sounds like religious jargon, but when we call on God and ask God to touch us and heal us, I believe God answers that. And he's in the midst of it. Cease, thanks for joining us. Oh, Tim, thanks for having me as your guest.
shining star who knows my mind. So why should I worry? Why should I fret? Cause I got a mansion builder who ain't through with me yet. Why should I subject? Yes. A prevalent issue? Yes. No doubt that you may know of someone. Maybe it's you who were hurt. Maybe you were hurt when you were little and you've wrestled and you're still looking for freedom. Let me share the good news with you. There is always hope. Our God is there right now with his arms reached toward you, wanting to embrace you and take you to a place of wholeness and freedom. Do you want to be healed? That's the first decision. If you appreciated Cease Murphy today, I highly recommend his book, Not Quite Healed, 40 Truths for Male Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse. We're also going to recommend today a book by a dear friend of mine, Diane Langberg, called On the Threshold of Hope. You can learn more about those resources at lifeloveandfamily.net. That's our website, lifeloveandfamily.net. You can also reach us by calling toll-free at 855-455-3264. Our prayer is every day that we'll bring to you a message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and we're helping you develop the skills and the opportunity to strengthen your relationships with those you love the most. Our website again, lifeloveandfamily.net. Our toll-free number, 855-455-3264. Thanks again for listening. Life, love, and family. You know the feeling where you're tired and unmotivated and sometimes you get mad for no reason. And maybe you don't like what it's doing to your family or to your job. 
That's why the Center for Counseling and Health Resources has been there for people for more than 30 years. They take a whole person care approach that'll look at everything from your nutrition, your vitamin balances, your mind, your spirit. Call 1-888-771-5166. Or for help right now, visit aplaceofhope.com. Women in Depression, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs, Get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD. Get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 1-877-257-9612 or timberlineknowles.com.